Hey, what is up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the New Evangelicals Podcast. I am your host, Tim. If this is your first time listening or watching, thank you and welcome to the show. We do a lot of things as New Evangelicals. We're on Instagram, on TikTok. We have a Facebook community and we love to podcast. So today I'm bringing you a fresh episode. I have on this week's episode... Jared Stacy. Jared Spacey is a former pastor and current researcher of conspiracy theories and how they intersect with evangelicalism. This is a very important episode to listen to, my friends, because Jared used to be an evangelical pastor. His background is in the Southern Evangelical Baptist Convention. He eventually moved out of that um, as he discovered that conspiracy theories are a real problem uh, in evangelical spaces. So we talked about what is a conspiracy theory? How does it work? What is QAnon, which is a big deal in, in a lot of uh, Christian nationalist spaces? So this episode is very important. I think you're going to enjoy it. It's super formative, uh, informative. So buckle up. Here we go. That being said, as always, I want to say two things. Number one, this episode is brought to you by Mad Priest Coffee. We love Mad Priest Coffee. We love their brand. We love everything that they do. They are delicious. They have uh, great campaigns trying to end Christian nationalism. If you go to madpriestcoffee.com and type in TNE promo, up. Oh, sorry, let me back that up. If you type in TNE20 in the promo section, you'll get 20% off your order. So make sure you do that. They're a small business they treat their employees fairly. They source their coffee from ethical places. And I love everything that they do. Also, do not forget, we are going to Trip Fuller's Theology Nerd Homebrewed God Pod Edition Beer Camp, October 13th through 15th. You can get tickets in our link, in our bio, in our bio. Wow, I'm thinking of Instagram today. Um, you can get tickets in our link, in our show notes. If you type in TNE, in the checkout, you'll get 50 bucks off your ticket, and that 50 bucks goes to us. So you win, we win. It's great. So make sure you do that. It's a star-studded lineup for uh, us deconstructing Christians. I mean, you name them, they're going to be there. Uh, let's see. Peter Enns, check. Adam Clark, check. Dr. Robin Henderson Espinoza, check. Trip four, check. Brian McLaren, check. Diana Butler Bass, check. And so many more. So make sure you get your tickets. I cannot wait to meet many of you, hang out with you. We'll have a great time. And lastly, I want to say thank you to everyone who continues to share the podcast. We continue to grow. We are averaging 33,000 downloads a month. For me, that's a big deal. A sincere thank you to all of you out there who share our content. If you could do me a favor and you can give us a, a rating and a review that would be awesome. Mainly through the Apple Podcast app or through Spotify. That help us get that helps us get seen more in the searches and just helps out our overall presence. Lastly, we are a nonprofit organization and we function completely off of donations. We do nothing behind paywalls. What does that mean? It means that you don't have to pay anything to get access to all of our content anywhere. Podcast free. Our our website resources free. Uh, Instagram content free. TikTok free. Facebook community, free. So we're able to do that because people donate. If you would be so kind, if you're willing and able, we would really appreciate any donations. It really helps us fuel our work, um, either through a one-time donation or a monthly donation. You can click on the link in our show notes and you can do it there. All right, friends, without further ado, here's my episode with Jared Stacey. Talk to you all later. All 
right. Well, Jared Stacy got you on the podcast. I know so little about you except for <laughs> I saw your Twitter. I saw you on Twitter, and I saw that, that you are currently, I believe, getting your PhD in conspiracy theories regarding how it relates to evangel uh, evangelicalism. And I said, oh, my gosh, I got to get you on the show. You are the person I've been looking for. So thank you for making time to come on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Good to, good to be here. Good to have an interesting conversation down the rabbit hole. I, I agree. Um, before we get into some of the more you know uh, detailed parts of the conversation, I am kind of curious. You kind of shared with me a little bit before we started recording, but for the audience out there, what is your background and what led you to start studying conspiracy theories in evangelical spaces? Yeah, you know, I, I was raised a lot in, in this bubble, right? Uh, mm. I was in the South. And so we'll get into that. The South is one of the major predictors of conspiracy theories. Um, and so I was raised in the South. I was uh, in institutions uh, either adjacent to or right in places like Liberty. Um, and so I've been in these spaces and uh, I've pastored in these spaces, right? And so the idea of conspiracy theories is not something that was just invented in 2016 with Trump. Um, I think the longer I've been in these spaces and the more that I've I even stepped out here in Scotland for a while doing my research um, that some of it is a feature and being able to unpack why that is. Um, it's not just like an academic endeavor. This was something that is personal, uh, something that is helpful for me to disentangle. Um, and, and that's the thing. Conspiracy theories is just one way to talk about this bigger thing of evangelicalism. Um, what's wrong with it? What, might be right with it. And it's not about fixing it as much as it is saying, if, if I have misapprehended or gotten God wrong, I'd want to know. And so there's, there's that way where this is incredibly personal. Uh, cons conspiracy theories are always sensational and interesting. And uh, anytime someone asks, uh, what are you studying? I'm like, uh, conspiracy theories. You know, there's no shortage of either, there's either one or two reactions. Someone wanting to share the conspiracy theory they believe um, and so it's like a magnet, man. And even since we moved here to Scotland, I have a neighbor right around the corner uh, who has U.S. conspiracy theories plastered on his windows and let's go Brandon on the back of his car. And this wow. is in Scotland. Wow. So it, it, you can't get away from it. Um, so that's a little bit about me, a little bit about my background. Um, you know, I, I come out of these spaces. I come from the house. And so trying to say something honest and truthful um, in relation to how we conceive of God, it's, it's important work. No, I, I totally agree. It, it is important work. Um, as I'm sure you're well aware, there's a lot of people who are um, kind of in the same spot that, that you were, right? And, and maybe are, where it's like, well, I grew up in these spaces. Um, you know, I don't want to say it was all terrible or all bad. I mean, there, there was a reason why I was there for so many, so many years in my life. However, the farther I get away from it, the more I realize like how how deep the rabbit hole really seems to go when it comes to, I would say specifically white evangelical spaces. I'm yeah. sure that, that, that conspiracies exist in other parts of the evangelical house, but my tradition is really, um, you know, uh, in, in, in the white evangelical world. So as we kind of dig into this, you know, I'm kind of curious because I've actually um, have followed, I, I think on an amateur level, but I followed a lot of the conspiracy theories I've seen in these spaces. So I'm kind of curious to see if what I've been reading and kind of how I've been thinking about it stacks up, or I'm kind of curious to see how it stacks up against your actual research, you know? Right. Uh, and yeah. so I'm looking forward to that. So to kind of get into it, 
How do you define a conspiracy theory? Let's start there. Okay. Like what actually is a conspiracy theory? Yeah. So the, the leading research, at least that's come out since COVID, um, there's some researchers out of Hebrew university in Jerusalem and they define it three, three things, which I find is really helpful. So uh, the first thing is this belief, right. In a hidden pervasive secret evil or secret force. Right. So uh, that's the first. And then the second is that it, it, you're either with it or you're against it, right? There's no middle ground. So it's, it's really hard categories of good and evil. Um, another way of talking about that, like it's Manichaean, which that's a technical term, but uh, some of the listeners I think will pick up on that. And then the third one, um, it's impossible to disprove. <laughs> that's basically what they say, <laughs> that, it, that it has a, a fluid epistemology. So it's like, if you try to, if you try to get a conspiracy theory in a corner to dispute it or say, Hey, like this isn't real. It, it, it morphs, it evolves. And so that's, what's dangerous about this. And that's why people that are in politics, um, it, it, it can be helpful. It can be weaponized, but those are the three big things. Um, that, that kind of define it. And that's what I'm using to kind of push it forward. There's a lot of different things to talk about, but those are three really good ones. No, I, I, that is really helpful, um, if, I think, for myself and for the audience. And it's interesting because while certainly conspiracy theories live outside of white evangelical spaces, like I think about, uh, for example, 9-11, right? There was a lot of conspiracy theories going around that it was an inside job or that the, the, the towers, uh, they actually had uh, explosives inside of them. That wasn't really like like a, a specific evangelical conspiracy theory. So so obviously they exist outside of that world. However, I do think it's worth noting that those three things that, that you mentioned that are kind of the key ingredients, I can see how they would play into evangelical spaces really easily because oh, yeah. we, we have the problem of sin and Satan. And depending on, on, on which flavor of evangelical you are, the idea of the devil kind of always, you know, oppressing you or demonic oppression is there. Um, this, this binary, either you're, you're with God or, or, or you're against God. I can see how that um, uh, plays over. And then also the idea of it's impossible to disprove, I think is also very telling because the evangelical apologetics world has done such a good job of always finding a way out of any kind of corner to right. satisfy um, enough any average evangelical who, who would only engage in, in, in the apologist content. So I, I right. can see those three connections and why they might feed each other. Am I, am I sniffing along the right trail here? Oh, yeah. No, I mean, that's, that's exactly it. The, the idea that conspiracy theories is not unique to evangelicalism. Some of, some of my interactions with pastors in Australia and other places are actually saying, hey, like uh, that th- it's not confined to Christians, but it's, it's a nation co-opting religion hmm. to do the, so it's, it's happening around the world, but we're here talking about the spaces that we were in, which is white evangelicalism. Right. And so it, it's really easy. And that's a conspiratorial thinking, right? To be able to say, well, let's deflect. What about over here? Right. Like what about ism is, is a mm. form of conspiratorial thinking. Right. So you bring in, you mentioned the evangelical apologetic machine, right? So there's a lot of it. There's a lot to, to, to get away with when you conceive of deconstruction, right. As, as something that can be monetized. And, and that's what evangelical apologetics are built around, right? Like, all right, we have to create this machine to counter a machine, but does that make sense? Like there's a whole, there's a whole evangelical apologetic fighting quote unquote against deconstruction, but that requires it to at some point not define it accurately. 
And so again, this, it's, it's kind of ironic um, that once you start unpacking what a conspiracy theory is and how it helps people think, right? I want to say that in a positive sense. It does help people think. It does mm. offer explanations. It's not always good. And that's what makes it, that's what makes, draws people to it. But once you start unpacking some of the, the details of how these things function, you do start to see it in more places than just Q. You start to see it in a much broader sense, which again, that's a, it sounds like, you know, a conspiracy theory. But <laughs> like once you dive into this, I don't, I guess my, that's my way of saying like, it's not just an evangelical problem. And we can talk a little bit more of how much bigger it is, but I'll, I'll leave that if we get to it. Yeah, I, if we have time, you know, maybe towards the end, I would like to hear from you to hear how much bigger it is outside of the world that, that we're a part yeah. of. Because honestly, I, I have watched conspiracy theories, plural, really um, really be inflamed, really starting in, in, in the – I mean, 2016 for sure, QAnon was, was here and there. But COVID was really the first time where I saw, wow – this is this is really widespread uh, in the right. circles I'm a part of. And really quick, I do want to mention you 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 made a great point about the apologetics industry. And you know, listen, I'm not here to shit on on all those people. Okay, they're made in God's image, and some of them I think are really respectful and really do want to have good faith dialogue. So right. I, I'm not saying that 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 they're all maniacal or even intentionally doing this. But I do notice that that one of the staples, and I say this as someone who was inside that world, is they will take terms, redefine them and then argue against the terms that they've created right so right. like they'll take yeah. deconstruction and make it their own thing then they'll argue against what they've what, 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 what they've made it or progressive christianity the same kind of thing um so i wanted to throw that out there because i totally agree with you but um you know re regarding conspiracy theories i i I feel like, and I would like your 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 response to this. That yep. yes, QAnon was definitely kind of there, you know, during 2016 and during Trump. But that, in my mind, seemed to really get bigger after COVID really mm -hmm. hit the scene. And I'm seeing what, what what's that now defunct YouTube documentary, a uh, pandemic, right? That that yeah, that that, right. that came out. And I'm watching it's pastors. Well. I'm watching <laughs> pastors reshare this. And I'm like, yeah. whoa, right? Or 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 whatever it is. You know, masks are are tyranny or, or whatever it is. So so help me out here. I mean, is, is is that for you, is that when you start seeing conspiracy theories that maybe are now not masking themselves as conspiracy theories, but people are grabbing them and saying, look, it's all been planned. It, it, it's all been a right. pandemic. Is that when you see an uptick in, in, in your research or has there really been this undercurrent for a long time and people like me are just waking up to it now? Yeah, um, I think maybe we could talk in terms of like an immediate problem and then a, a residual problem. Great. Um, Great. That way it's like, it's like, there's a difference between a fever that is like about to break and just running a low grade fever. Mm. And I think um, if you want the bad news before the good news, Let's I think some of the, like the historical work I've, I've looked at with look, get catching up on a lot of reading um, historians look at this and this has always been with us mm. um, going back to the Salem witch trials. You, you could draw a line from 1690s uh, and, and, just do all of American history through various conspiracy theories. So there's something to be said about the shape of America, particularly, but you are right. When 2020 hit, you know, if you're in these spaces long enough, yeah, you're aware that, you know, there's always that family member or that person who, you know, believes conspiracies and the 9-11 stuff may be over there in a, in a corner of YouTube, but it did. 
resurface and go mainstream in 2020. And that's really what a lot of my research is picking up on is like, okay, how do we talk theologically about what happened in 2020 with the pandemic and with politics? And so you are right. And, and being able to say, okay, this is, this is the resurgence of this way of thinking that's been with us for a really long time. And I found one of the helpful ways to talk about it um, is like just paranoia, right? Like people were looking and are looking for a way to explain in a way that, that uh, keeps them from the pain of having to rethink their, their mm. commitments, their allegiances. Um, it's a whole lot easier to think that the government planned COVID uh, and this idea of control right? Instead of thinking that there's not in control. And there's, there's a lot of, uh, when you look at the pandemic and you look at like this fear of a totalitarian state, um, on the other side, you have January 6th, where it was basically, if we can't have a totalitarian state, then we don't want to have democracy, right? So the conspiracy theory of, I'm afraid is, you see how it's a, a mirror, like these conspiracy theories, um, we're, you know, we're afraid of tyranny, well, then on the other hand, you have an evangelical politic, and I'm not laying January 6th solely at the feet of evangelicals. Like, don't don't get me wrong there. Um, but at the same time, like the Christian imagery and all of this idea of taking America back for God, nationalism, right? It, conspiracies are a feature of that. And so, yeah, it, it, it went mainstream. If we noticed an uptick, it's it's not because it was new. It's because the, the situation called for it. And there's a lot in our culture, uh, particularly white supremacy, that has used conspiracy theories as a way to shore up and defend its ideology throughout history. So that's the bad news, uh, is that it's, it's a lot more of a rabbit hole and a lot more digging through the various ways that we've tried to defend white supremacy, nationalism, um, that get in bed and co-opt Christianity uh, to, those, to those ends. So yeah, it's much... I, yeah. As you're As talking, you're- I'm writing down, writing down. I'm like, okay, here's a question. Here's, I mean, there's so many, there's so yeah. many ways to go. And I, I guess that's one of the staples of a conspiracy theory or theories is that they are. There's so many ingredients in it. How do you really dissect piece by piece? Because by, because by, by the time you dissect a piece number one, the other ten pieces have moved on to something else. So you can never right. like fully catch up. Um, you know, listen, you might not want to blame January 6th on evangelicals. I certainly do, um, frankly. <laughs> I mean, and, and I, I mean that sincerely. Where yep. listen, if 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 the data shows that it was mostly mostly a bunch of atheists who started this whole thing, then I'll concede the point. But from yeah. from, from where I'm sitting, uh, Trump, uh, Eric Metaxas, uh, yeah. you know, uh, Proud Boys, etc., all have Christian elements. I mean, strong yeah. Christian elements to why they did what they did. Uh, and I, I also re- remember watching the whole prophetic movement, quote unquote. Right? Oh, right. I'm, I'm prophesying Trump will Trump is still the president. That that is what, in my opinion, is what. It, was the fuel behind what led up to uh, the insurrection was really evangelical theology completely hijacked and twisted uh, in conspiratorial form along with QAnon. Right. (laughs) And I, 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 yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I, I, I want to make sure, because again, I I agree exactly with what you're saying. So when I say, I don't want to lay it totally on evangelicals, what I'm, what I'm saying is I don't want to uh, uh, get to this point where, um, at least what I've heard in, in circles is saying like, oh, well, no real evangelical would be there. And that's just a no true Scotsman. Right. And so right. I, I'm, I'm not buying that. And my point, my conversation in those spaces have always been, look, if your only defense for why Christianity is not, not 
on display at January 6th is no true Christian would be there. How can you expect people to tell the difference who are non-Christian? They can't, right? So when I say I don't want to lay even lay January 6th at the feet of evangelicals, it's just a, a, a way of saying not everyone that expresses like an evangelical faith was there. Right. But from my point of view, with the spaces that I inhabit, if I don't say, yeah, it was explicitly Christian and a lot of those things have evangelical roots, then I'm not, I'm not, I'm also not being honest. So again, like parsing that the nuance is required, but again, we're not really in a moment. I'm, I'm, I'm transitioning from an academic to a, <laughs> being able to just say like, yeah, like let's, we need to be honest. So I want to, I want to make that clear for your listeners too. Um, I'm not trying to parse that or no true Scotsman that because no, again, for sure. I mean, don't forget um, my, my job is to be, is to be that person, right? I mean, I'll, yeah. I'll just say it bluntly and your job is to say, well, Tim, you're being a little, a little over the top here. Let me help as the academic in this conversation, let me help you break it down. So well, you have full to permission to, to do that. <laughs> we need to be able to tell the truth. And if I'm sitting down with neighbors and they say, well, is this who you are? I'm saying no. But at the same time, I'd say, but I recognize everything that was there because I've been in these spaces and not, that's not surprising. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. 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 That's the point. No, it, it's a really fair point. And, you know, to be to be transparent with you, I, I sometimes I'll say blunt things like this with people like yourself because I want right. to know, like, OK, how are they going to respond? Because you're the ones who are spending the real time reading, yeah. understanding, breaking this down. Right. And, and so if. If I'm wrong, I want to know, right? If you said, "Listen, Tim, I get it. I get it. You want to you want to put evangelicals, you know, forefront, but we have data that, that suggests otherwise." Mm-hmm. I would want to say, "Great, show me the data because I I want to know what's real, right?" Yeah, but again, right. it just seems like the more I'm reading, the more I'm following, the more I'm listening, the more I think about it, um, it just seems like the the in, in particular the evangelical language, the the yeah. the theology, um, and also of course how Trump has been courting really charismatic evangelicals in a lot of ways uh, since 2016. It just seems like that was the the engine um, that really helped drive the stop the steal nonsense to the point where people actually stormed the Capitol building. So that's why I say it like that. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. And, and yeah, I think, I think I may have caught a little like, Oh, let's nuance that when really, Again, by and large, like we, ha- there is no truth telling that's happening about this. Let's be mm. clear. Like that's that's why I'm doing what I'm doing right. is because in the spaces where it most needs to be heard, it's well, we weren't up there. But the reality <sighs> is, is that a lot of a lot of stuff does happen where, again, it's it's all cast in this veneer of spirituality, which is precisely what makes conspiracy theories thrive. Yeah. Uh, this idea of piety and this idea of, of God and country and that association is what my research is trying to disrupt. So, um, yeah, I don't, I, I, in hindsight, I don't know if you and I were disagreeing as much as just coming at the problem from these, these different ends and meeting in the middle and saying, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I make, I want to make that clear. Yeah, no, <laughs> it's a fair point. Fair point. So I yeah. actually have something to tell you that I didn't tell you before. I oh, actually great. have a QAnon book right here. Okay. Oh, there it is. This is called The Great Awakening. It's called An Invitation to the Great Awakening. It's written by WWG1WGA, which stands for Where We Go One, We Go All. This is a yeah. book that was put together by the QAnon community, really, I think, on 4chan. And most of it is just copy and paste of like their, their post. Um, wow. Frankly, it's full of grammatical errors. It's almost illegible in some places. I got about halfway in, and I said, okay, I'm good. Um, but I do want to park on QAnon for a little bit because... 
because yeah. I, I I don't know if our listeners understand uh, the veracity and just the scope that 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 QAnon really had um, with Trump and with so right. many and maybe the other things that we've heard about, but didn't realize that really it was like two steps down the line from, from a QAnon conspiracy. So can right. you kind of break down what QAnon is was um, and, and and what we mean when we say the QAnon conspiracy? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think one of the things that everyone's grappling with, right, is the idea of how the internet is radicalizing people. And QAnon, I think, is going to be one of those, like, by name mentions in history textbooks uh, for for the foreseeable future as like, hey, this is how this happens and this is what it was. So, you know, it, it originated on the dark web. It also originated these message boards that are dark web adjacent, 4chan, yes. places like that. Um, and, and there were these basically cryptic posts um, that claimed, and this gets into a little bit of how I'm trying to frame this, claim kind of like secret special knowledge. And so the, the theological term for that is like gnosis, right? This idea that um, people who denied Jesus had a physical body back in the ancient ancient church, uh, they were called Gnostics and they claim to have this special hidden knowledge. And so it's, it's basically in that same frame that, uh, QAnon, these, these posts about, you know, a a great, a great storm, a big storm that's going to sweep away all of these elites in government. And, you know, that tied in really well with Trump's rhetoric on the swamp, um, and things like that. And to the, to the extent that that started around 2017, um, it really, really metastasized and became, you know, this wave of sentiment. Um, at least I remember, I'd be interested to see when you, when you started recognizing it or seeing it, um, I started hearing about it, um, and thinking, oh, this is, this is not just out in the digital world. This is in my own community, um, was actually George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, like that moment when the QAnon thread over sex trafficking, kind of became a rally point for white evangelicals who didn't want to talk about race and didn't want to talk about police brutality. And it was kind of like, and this is a feature of conspiratorial thinking, it's deflection or distortion. Mm. We'll we'll distort what was really going on with George Floyd. I heard conspiracy theories about him, but then we'll also deflect, well, we don't need to talk about racism. We actually need to talk about sex trafficking and what's in, and that was proved to be like a front for Q or a door, a rabbit hole into Q. And so these, these cryptic posts kind of became more frequent and would include greater, greater details of things that would happen. Um, and as scholars look at this, one of the things that's interesting and is not at all surprising is that nothing comes true. Right. Nothing, nothing comes true. Uh, and, and yet, and this is where some of the sociological data that you're interested in. Um, so PPRI did a, did a, a year long study to see how pervasive how saturated the QAnon was in American culture. Uh, and then they redid it a year later this mm. year. So two surveys a year apart, okay. uh, it barely moved. It barely went down. Wow. Uh, one in five Americans still believe it. 25% of white evangelicals, 25 down to 23. Okay. That's not a substantial change. Right, your margin of error in these surveys is what? Three, usually it's like three percentage points. Exactly. So it's negligible. It's nothing. Um, one in four Republicans. And this, this was basically said like, Hey, it's, it's, it's a feature and all you need to do. So I'm kind of giving, giving kind of where it is now. That's what it was. That's how it was used or marshaled in the election, the insurrection, particularly with evangelical flavor. Um, and, and now we're at this point where, 
I mean, if you're paying attention to the political rhetoric, there are QAnon candidates. That's how they're being described or they're using this language intentionally. Yeah. And so it's, it's become a part of our political discourse in a major way. Um, and, and that's, and that's where I think your point on even, I keep coming back to this, but the, the link between evangelicals and January 6th, I think we're only going to probably shore that up even more hmm. given how overt the Christian national slash QAnon link is. Does that make sense? You know, like yeah. it, it'll be proven before, during, and after that, you know, evangelicalism, the ideology and the theology that underwrites that ideology has just been such a major factor in driving people towards Q. So that's, that's going a little bit beyond, but that's, that's Q in a nutshell. There's a lot of various claims, Democrat pedophiles, you know, all, yes. all of that stuff that was a part of those, uh, a part of those cryptic messages. Um, but it, it was cultish. No, I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, you're 100% correct. Um, my first time hearing of QAnon was maybe 2017, but, you know, it was kind of out of sight, out of mind. Okay, this, yeah. this conspiracy theory. And then I remember seeing Q, like the sign at Trump rallies. And then I remember when, when Trump was asked point blank by a reporter, like, do you disown QAnon? And he didn't. And right. people were really concerned about that because, you know, uh, for obvious reasons. I didn't know the implications yet. I do now. But, but, but then I'm thinking, okay, whatever, you know. But like you said, the Save the Children campaign, that's what mm -hmm. it was called, Save the, yeah. Save the Children. That was the big moment where I said, whoa, uh, this is, you know. And for a while, I was even concerned, whoa, is there – I didn't know that that, that right. sex trafficking was, 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 was this prominent. You just – because, again, I mean, who doesn't want to save kids, right? Uh, who, who doesn't want to save kids out of the, the pizza parlor in D.C., which we can get into, you know, when someone yeah, actually right. went to a pizza parlor thinking that kids were being trafficked in, in the basement and shot off the lock with a gun in the pizza parlor and there was nothing there. there was, it was a storage right. unit. Um, but anyway, so that's how I first kind of discovered QAnon. And then I, I remember the whole Wayfair thing. Do you remember that? Mm -hmm. When, uh, you know, oh, this this cabinet is, is $10,000. It's really code for trafficking kids. And again, if you don't know any better, it's convincing, right? Whoa, right. this makes sense. It, you know, it, it kind of plays on like that sixth sense of like something isn't totally right with the world. And then, and then yep. you go, ah, I found it. Like we're trafficking yep. kids. Um, so from there, I really kind of, I kind of went pretty deep into it because I was just so fascinated by it. And I was really starting to understand that oh, there's a lot of evangelicals who are parroting this. And also yeah. I realized that certain politicians were really picking up like Marjorie Taylor Greene's a great example of this. Someone right. who, who still espouses, you know, QAnon conspiracy theories at times. So I, I, I'm with you, you know, I, I followed this as, as closely as I could as an amateur. Uh, but when I started seeing pastors and lay people starting to re Pete QAnon talking points, especially when right. the election happened, right? Yeah. And I had friends of mine, one friend in particular who was a pretty well-known, in my circles, I'm a drummer. He was a well-known worship drummer. We were incredibly close. He was sending me legitimate QAnon conspiracy theories ab about how the election was stolen, you know, yeah. proving to me how the election was stolen. Any day now, you know, the storm is coming. The inauguration isn't going to happen. Trump will be restored. And it ended our friendship. Like, he, he stopped talking to me because I was yep. like, dude, this is crazy. But for, for the listeners out there, if you think sex trafficking, if you think the election was stolen, if you think, you know, uh, the storm, that's all tied to QAnon. That's how robust QAnon is. And it, it gets its start, like like you said, Jared, not to repeat, you know, the same no, thing, no. but it, it started on the dark web, which is a, a, a way of accessing a different part of the Internet that's hard to get a hold of. But it jumped kind of over into some more um, – 
I, I'm not sure if you call it the light web, but like the mainstream web, right? right? right. Uh, you know, on, on some more, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I would say horrible message boards, namely 8chan. Now it's called 4chan. Um, but I think my question to you, Jared, is in your research, and again, I'm asking this because I, I want to know if, if, if what I say publicly is is bullshit. <laughs> or, you know, I don't think it is, but yeah. you're an academic yeah. here. How much do you see right-wing media at least allowing these conspiracy theories to go on, if not, if not silently, like codedly reinforcing oh, yeah. them. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah no. So, um, yes. I, like, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what you want me to say to that. So here's, here's the interesting thing. Um, and this, so this is just publicly available data. We're not really even getting into how I'm trying to piece this and, and essentially say that this is a feature of how evangelicals have done politics um, okay. but, uh, here, here's the thing. If someone identifies ideology, okay. If someone identifies as conservative, if that's like their descriptor for the politics that they practice, they are 2.7 times more likely to be a QAnon follower, right? Mm. These are the uh, Republican two times more likely mm. if they say, but here's the thing. The biggest one was for media. If they follow far right news, you are 4.9 times more likely to buy into QAnon. Like media choices was the sole predictor completely of whether or not you're going to be a QAnon buyer. So yeah, there's, there's a QAnon is definitely cast in like an evangelical or Christian frame. It buys a lot of its, um, at least in the States, it gets a lot of its authority and legitimacy. And the title of that book, the great awakening is exactly what the evangelical revivals were called. (laughs) Right. So it's a little, it's a little too on the nose. Um, (laughs) But there it is. I mean, can, um, can, can I read a little excerpt for yeah, the audience yeah, yeah, out there? This is this. in the book. Okay, this is page 16. All right. In February 2018, Q began to sign off on some posts using Q+, the first being post number 791. Post 791 was a verse from the Bible, Jeremiah 29:11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper for you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in the future. The next lines were the same, repeated twice, followed by Q+, Project 6, 14-46, uh, protect 6, 14-46. The verse from Jeremiah, although a message from God to the exiles in this context was a message directly from the president telling those on the boards as well as those listening outside that plans were in place for, uh, I'm sorry, that plans were in place. Patriots were firmly in control. He had plans and they were being carried out. We had nothing to worry about. Okay, this is this is page sixteen, and you, like you said, they yeah. take Bible verses, right? They take Christian language and they apply it to this framework, and a lot of evangelicals, especially conservative ones, tend to buy it hook, line, and sinker. Yeah. So then that's the so one in five Americans, but it's one in four white evangelicals, right? So goodness, and and that's and that's full full buy-in. Right. And so one of the things that I've, I've been doing and looking at, right, is to your point. Um, yeah, there's there's QAnon, but then there's QAnon adjacent. There is. Yeah, break that down. There, there is. Well, you know, there's. Oh, you know what? I'm going to go to D.C. and I'm going to march on the Capitol. But then there's. Oh, that was stupid. But it makes sense. Yes. You know, there, yes. There's these. There is this respectability that comes with this conspiratorial stuff that you don't have to be. Um, bought hook, line, and sinker in these particular claims. You know, like someone saying, oh, like, hey, look at post 791. You know, that, that's, that's extreme. But what is 
really concerning is how how saturated that and this is where we can kind of can distinguish between conspiracy theories and conspiratorial thinking Ooh, right that yeah, um, if i could if i could get in and this isn't an academic thing i just want to make a, all uh, you man yeah i just want to make i want to make a connection because yeah. the the pervasiveness and the saturation of conspiracy theories and and this idea that well we don't talk politics um which is very common in evangelical churches uh, let's, let's be apolitical. Let's not, let, this is, this is, be, you know, beneath us. But when you look at how, for example, one of the largest evangelical denominations, the SBC plays itself out in its politics. If you've been paying attention for the last two years, you know, that a lot of the same political rhetoric of stop the steal, uh, is being played out in the SBC's denominational politics. And it, 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 it's, it's even worse when you realize, right, that some of these particular conspiracy theories the, the latest one being groomers yes. in the public school, right? That's that's how these things evolve. But the latest one being groomers and this idea that conservative evangelicals need to resist the grooming of their children in schools while we are grappling with 20 years of sexual abuse cover-ups in the Southern Baptist Convention, right? So like these, this conspiracy, this this way of thinking has a powerful way to distort and deflect where the actual evil is located, and, and, and in that sense, like evangelicals, by and large, we have been completely complicit. And you don't have to be storming the Capitol steps to be and to see this as a problem that is affecting churches that have bought into this. And I, I put it this way, ideology as theology. There's no other mm. way to put it. Mm. Um, and so, again, I wanted to make that connection, at least for the listeners who are like grappling with how do I explain like sexual abuse in the SBC for 20 years? And, and then my evangelical friends who want me to believe that Democrats are secret pedophiles. Well, this conspiratorial thinking has a long way in, in just kind of infecting and inflecting how we think and navigate the world. So that's that was one particular connection I wanted to make, because I do think it's important when we talk about the work that evangelicals need to be doing. Like I, if, if, yeah. Even if you still buy into that label, or even if you don't, like yeah. that's the work that we need to be doing. If you If you take that word seriously, or even if you don't, it's a label. No one needs to be sold on it or defend it in a way that would cause you to buy into conspiracy theories. Point, point given. That's it. Um, but yeah, it's, 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 it's much more pervasive than I think, uh, than churches probably want to admit mainly because they don't see it as radical or they see it as political and not something they need to deal with, but it is particular to Christians. And that's, that's an issue. Like, let me put it this way. If one out of four people in an evangelical church suddenly came and said, uh, we don't believe the Bible is the word of God anymore, what would churches do? Mm-hmm. It, would be, it would be the next sermon series. Easy. Totally, totally. But when one in four evangelicals say, you know, we don't, we don't believe that President Biden is elected and that we might have to resort to violence, which is another you know, thing down the road, we might have to resort to violence to do that. Uh, what's, what's the response of the church there? What, what will the church do when it becomes a breeding ground or a hotbed for disinformation that could lead to violence, justified violence in their minds? That's, that's, that's what we call radicalization. And evangelicals are very good and have been very good about recognizing that uh, in radical Islam and, and the problem is that that paint that with a very broad brush in a way that's racist and xenophobic, right? But we are struggling now to apply it 
to ourselves. And that's what's, that's, that's just what's terrifying, but it's, it's worthy of some, some serious pause on whatever programs or control evangelicals want to be taken seriously. And that's just not the case. For whatever reason, there's always been a stigma around mental health in our communities. Some people say that talking about your feelings makes you weak, but you know what? It doesn't make you weak. It makes you human. No matter what you're struggling with, you can call or text 988 Lifeline to connect with a trained crisis counselor and get the resources and support you need. No judgment, no stigma, just hope. Text or call 988 Suicide and Crisis Lifeline day or night. 988. Hope has a new number. Um, great. I sorry, I, I went on that. <laughs> oh, I wanted you to, and I want to. Yeah. I want to let the audience know you and I have never met. Besides a, a two minute conversation, and then I started hitting record because if my audience, and here's why I say that because yep. if the audience follows us on Instagram, social media, I've right. said almost the same exact wording. Like, hey, yeah, the, so so the people who are storming the Capitol, they're problematic for sure. But the people who who don't see that 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 their own churches are breeding grounds for conspiracies, that's what's terrifying. I mean, the, the, literally almost word for word, I said the same exact thing because like you said, right, people look for the sensationalism. Oh, well, I don't believe, I would never storm the Capitol. Yeah, but 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 when 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 you know Karen in your church, you know, says, well, maybe Biden wasn't elected, you go, yeah, who knows? It's definitely complicated, right? That's when all of a sudden it's like, up, oh, there it is. Like there it yep. is. There is that conspiratorial thinking inside the church instead of it being called out, I would argue that that really evangelical spaces have become, like you said, the breeding ground. It's been allowed to incubate. It's been allowed to grow. It's gone largely unchecked. Very few pastors um, address it, if any, because like you said, they've done such a good job of always creating the next uh, crisis, right? It was critical race theory for a while. And then it was, you know, um, radical uh, anti-racism work. And then it was Marxism. And then it was progressive Christians. And now it's grooming. It's always something. And that goes back. I'm thinking about now satanic panic in the 80s. I mean, this goes, this is, right? This is not new. But but I think, and I would love to get your thoughts on this. And then, and then, from there, go ahead and rant again. I don't mind. I love it. But one of the, I think one of the reasons why evangelicals in particular are so prone to repeating the same tactics out of out of the same playbook every like ten years is because we're taught to view things from a very ahistorical point. Like, well, don't look too far back in history. Don't yeah. don't go to, don't go back to the eighties where we tried to freak you out about satanic panic and it was really nothing. Yep. It was all you know. No, 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 no. Right now, this is new. There's all of a sudden there's this underground network of of, of Democrats trying to suck the blood of children and, and, and molest them. This is happening now. You know, it, it, don't look back into history at all because right. I and I feel like if we did that, we would see. Oh, we've been here before. You know, and right. it turns out that it was largely unfounded. Yeah. So it was, I'm sure during the satanic panic, there were some kids out there who did some satanic ritual, but the idea of it being super widespread and Dungeons and Dragons taking over our kids' hearts and, you know, bringing the, the, bringing the demonic portal over the White House, I don't freaking know. I'm, I'm ranting now. But this, no, whole, I, you know, this whole idea, it's like we've been here. So it, what do you think about that? Riff off of that. Yeah, so this comes back to a conversation. So um, I'm just going to throw out a, uh, a, uh, a welcome mat. If anyone wants to come study in Scotland, there's a bunch of expats here. Um, 
who have been navigating a lot of this stuff from a distance. And, uh, and so if anyone ever wants to get away, just <laughs> find me. Uh, we can put you up in Aberdeen and you can come meet some really smart people uh, who love Jesus. And I think that's, that's one of the things that um, when, you, when you start to grapple with this. So someone told me this recently um, and I thought it was really good. You know, th- there's a lot of obsession over like fixing evangelicalism. And they said, you know, the, the, one of the challenges, the way that evangelicals present uh, themselves is that they're the true defenders of the faith. Yeah. And so the option when, when you confront that God, the option is, is not repair. The option is either to deconvert or apostatize. Right. And, and that's a really difficult place to be um, where you feel like, especially with conspiracy theories, especially when they're handed to you from people who also hand you the gospel. Right. Um, do I have to buy into this? You know, and like it's just a very simple sense. Do I have to be a Republican to be a Christian? And, and that's exactly the rhetoric that some of the, the more vocal churches, extreme churches are, are touting. Um, but when you talk about it's always been this way, you keep mentioning satanic panic. And uh, today I was, I was, I wasn't reading about the eighties. I was, well, I was reading about the 1680s and I'm like, Tim, Tim doesn't know this, but like he could be talking about three centuries ago Mm. or he could be talking about now. And when the Salem witch trials broke out, Cotton Mather, he's this old Puritan. uh, He wrote a defense of why the trials happened the way they did. And I won't get into it all. But one of the things he said that I'm like, I recognize that. Hmm. is he said, he said two things. He said that, um, that Satan had, had infiltrated the community, right? Hmm. That, that state, like dark forces were, were threatening the, the, the Puritan churches, but this was proof that God was on their side and that God was testing them. Oh, right. And, and so I, I read that and I'm like, well, there it is. Like it's, right. it's, it's been something that we make these moves. And if I could, one, one book that's been really helpful that I think if people want to pick up mm-hmm. um, is called one nation under Graham by a guy, uh, Jonathan Redding, and he's a historian. And all he does is examine some of the rhetoric of Billy Graham um, and, and he kind of shows how under God got in a pledge of allegiance mm-hmm. for me, it was really helpful because it went a long way to explain how nationalism and this kind of conspiratorial rhetoric kind of weaves itself in to make and drive people towards an evangelical point of decision. You know, like you're sitting and like, all right, bow your head, close your eyes. You know, uh, the, a lot of those sermons that we grew up with, or maybe our parents' generation grew up with involved telling us about our personal sin, but always against this backdrop of potential national catastrophe. And some of that was conspiratorial. And so I think part of what moving forward looks like is realizing that um, the nationalism and conspiracies that have kind of framed what it looks like to repent, what it looks like to convert, um, coming to grips with the fact that our apprehension of who God is and the kind of control that evangelicalism tries to show through conspiracies. It's not the same God, man. Hmm. I don't know how else to say that, but confronted with a choice of buying into like a conspiracy, a conspiratorial view of the world uh, versus a God who's in control. Like, again, I'm not putting the virgin birth on the table. If I question, or if I say that Joe Biden's president, I'm, right. I'm not nego- I'm not negotiating anything that Orthodox Christianity for 2,000 years has held to. Mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not questioning the sinlessness of Jesus if I say 
yeah, no, there was no pizza parlor. <laughs> right. But, but in, in some of these places, in these spaces, um, the battle for America has so conditioned and determined, like, if you put that flag up, oh, I, you know, Joe Biden, well, if you're a liberal, how could you, how could you be right about Jesus? And that works two, two ways, you know? So I think, you know, that, that challenge, and I, at least what I've found through some of this research um, is it, it's really powerful when you have theology that underwrites your ideology and not, not the other way around. Mm. And, and conspiracy theories always, they don't serve theology, right? Like coming to grips of like, it's not about being reasonable. It's, it's about learning to be comfortable with mystery. And there's something really compelling about that. And there's something really beautiful about that where I don't have to explain, um, but I get to demonstrate and I don't have to be concerned over hidden forces or things like that. But uh, let me ask you this question. Um, How big were the left behind books for you? Like, did, did you read them? Was it, was it something you never got around to? Because that's something that is, it sounds so silly, but man, it's, it's so helpful when we try to figure out why we're here, <laughs> how we got here, left behind, man. Um, you know, I never read the books. I watched the movies. I grew up in a more, my dad, uh, my dad's view of the end times was like, when it's over, it's over. There's no rapture kind of thing. Um, but, but, um, obviously left behind had such an impact on people who didn't even have to read the books. I mean, no lie. I think it was maybe two years ago. We were maybe three. Uh, it was Christmas morning at my parents' house and we always stay the night and I woke up and no one was there. Like no one, I couldn't find anyone. And I was, I'm like, I'm like 28. I'm like, well, I mean, did, like it did, did the rapture, did it happen? I'm like, but Tim, what do you think? But like that, that's how deeply embedded, right? Yeah. That, that idea um, which really comes from John Nelson Darby. I mean, he's kind of the father yeah. of, of this dispensationalist theology, which is really, in, in, in the grand scheme of things, pretty new. But obviously, it's, it's widely accepted now as like, you know, the rapture. I mean, DC Talk wrote a song about it for crying out loud, right? I wish we all been ready. Yep. So so even though I didn't read the books, I watched the movies with Kirk Cameron, um, of course, because I was a good Christian. Um, but yeah, I mean, it had a huge <laughs> impact on how I saw the end of the world, for sure. If I couldn't yeah. find someone, what do you think of? They're raptured. They're gone. I'm left behind. You know, so it, it absolutely yep. had, had a major play uh, on, on my psyche as a young adult, for sure. Is I think you know I, I think those books and people's view of the end times are what's supposed to happen. I think that drives a lot of the immediacy that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. You know, like I think Russell Moore was was mentioning a couple uh, newsletters ago. He said something like, "No one ever came and apologized to me for t- for being wrong that the scanners at the grocery store were not the mark of the beast." Right, right. right? And, and that was pre me. I'm thinking, what the heck, man? I mean, yeah, it, it it was Harry Potter. It was all of the and all we could go back and list all of these crazes. But there's something about this end times apocalyptic view that, you know, if you go back to uh, the 1920s, right, fundamentalists who, you know, were big into this kind of end times, uh, read the Bible and read your newspaper, right? Like, let's predict the events that are about to happen. Um, Yeah. They, Henry Ford was big into conspiracy theories. Totally. fundamentalists actually shared a bunch of his pamphlets in their publishing networks. So this link between like American elite conspiracy theory, yeah, you know, all this kind of stuff. It's, it's been in our, in this tradition for, a, for almost ever. I mean, it's developed alongside of it. It's, it's how it sees the world. And so again, it's, it's not really a measure of repair. You never really fix conspiracy theories. That's the problem with all this. Like people want to solve it or right. people want to say like, Hey, like how do I get my friend who believes in it 
to not believe in it anymore. And it's not like I have, I don't have bad news and say, well, no, guess what? They're down that rabbit hole forever. But, but I do think it has, it has more to be said with like, eventually there is a, uh, an exhaustion that this kind of creates where you just get so tired of having to invent the next thing. Um, not everyone gets out of that, but at the same time, I think being able to put distance and this is where churches come in, right? Because paranoia is the exact opposite of faith. And, but so long as churches buy this idea that they can be apolitical and, and which is really just partisanship, right? Like right. we have to be able to speak into this because it's not, it's not just politics. Um, it is, but it's not, it's like, what is the church's politic? That's right. the difference. Right. It's, it's not about the, the ideology of right or left. It's like, how does the church's politics make a difference in the world? And again, it, it, it almost boils down to this. If you want people to take the resurrection seriously, the claim of reality, then, then you need to shore up what you're sure of and the claims that you're making in other places. And the, probably the most terrifying thing you asked in some of the conversation, it's like, hey, what's the craziest conspiracy theory you heard? I've got two. The, the first was, uh, did you know that Joe Biden is Jim Carrey in a mask? Jeez, what? Yeah, that, that's real. <laughs> that happened. Um, I hope I, I hope to God none of your listeners have also heard that one, but that was one I heard. Well, I have um, not. Wow. The worst the worst one, though, and this is this is kind of to my point, uh, was that someone was sharing conspiracy theories with me, and when I kind of pushed back, it was, well, wasn't the resurrection a kind of conspiracy theory? And and that's that's that move. Where it's like, man, I, I, I already believe something crazy. Right. Why not it's over here? Right. And and as I talk with people who are non Christians and who who care about their lives and see Christians kind of getting fanatical and radical about these things, I think one of the things I've I've said to them is, look, like I understand why you're terrified of Christians and particularly evangelicals, if this is what you're seeing. And I said, like, as someone who's come from inside these spaces being able to say like, look, the resurrection is an absolutely crazy claim. And in order to justify having a conversation about how crazy that is, I want to do everything I can to at least be connected as much as to reality here as I possibly can be. And conspiracy theories is one way that we discredit that. And I don't know if people automatically think about that when they're just doing politics, but that's what's at stake. Um, And that's why people feel like they have to walk away from the church completely and discredit the resurrection because they don't see another way out. And I don't, I don't blame them any, any more than I would blame my neighbor seeing the cross in a noose at the, at January 6th and saying, well, obviously this is Christians. I wouldn't right. blame them. They don't know any better. Right. They don't know any different. So, um, yeah, that's a lot, man. <laughs> well, it's good stuff. I mean, and to be honest, I did kind of think about that when you mentioned resurrection before you even said it, I'm like, well, you know, as Christians, we believe that someone rose again from the dead and I can yep. see how, how it, how that concept and idea can be twisted, and also ha- kind of have the door open for. Well, if that's if I believe that, and that's outlandish, of course I can believe that. Right now, there are kids being trafficked, you know. And I think I think what makes, and I would like your thoughts on this. What makes a conspiracy theory believable is that there is a hint of truth. Like kids do get trafficked, right? Like like bad things. Like uh, there have been Democrats and Republicans who have abused children before, right? I mean, you know, um, who's the um. Who's the wow? A Jeffrey Epps, um, Epstein yeah. or Epstein, right? Yeah. I mean, that yeah. that's a person who really lived, who did really horrible things. We know that. So, right. so, so there are, there is always a hint of like, yeah, I can see that. 
But then that becomes the foundation to build like really a house of cards of, oh, well, therefore, Democrats uniquely are drinking the blood of kids in some underground labyrinth. And you're like, well, that's a big jump from, you know, like like kids are getting trafficked and we should stop that to, yes, it's intentionally being done by Democrats for global domination. Right. And so that's that's the interesting part of uh, how do you talk about buy-in? Right. Because I'm sure people that are listening, you've got people that come to the Thanksgiving table and you're like, I just don't do not want to get in a conversation with this. person. Right, right. It'll, it'll go to, you know, blood drinking Democrats in like zero to 60. Um, but then you also have people that you talk with them for five, 10, 15, 20 minutes. You don't talk about anything like that. And then all of a sudden, just like a floodgate. Um, and, and here I will say this, like you're, you're onto something that, you know, people do see leaders, and we do get bits behind the scenes that, that cause us to lose trust. One of the big things going on over here in the UK is like Boris and his whole government mm. in the UK had, uh, they, they locked the country down, but then they had tons of parties. <laughs> they had tons of parties and broke all the lockdown rules. Oh my God. Right? So in that kind of environment, right. And you can go back in the United States and find the same stuff, same kind of things. Like people, yeah. people lose faith and trust in institutions and leadership and, and the, some of that is not at fault, but conspiracy theories have always become more mainstream and become more prominent when institutions aren't trusted, when phenomena like a global pandemic happens. Um, and, and the fact that by and large, like for a lot of at least Western history, right, Christianity has kind of been, always been the warm water for that hurricane. You know, it's always been like, oh, man, let's let's associate this. Every every, every generation has believed that they're the last. Totally. That, 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 you know, for Luther, it was the Pope and, and, and for, you know, Billy Graham for a period, it was the communist and, you know, like, it, so how it do we Russia in the eighties? Yeah, exactly. So right. how, how do we work our way out of this framework of immediately thinking that, you know, the, the person across the street from me is, is, you know, part of this, you know, they're either all good or all evil. And if you don't, if you can't figure that out, you know, then, then you're a threat. Um, and I, you know, that's that's the challenge is bringing it down to that thanksgiving table right like how do you talk to someone how do you have a relationship with someone you've mentioned you lost friendships like i have too i venture that most of your listeners have as well yeah how do you how do we move forward with this other than saying look like i don't (laughs) on the one hand we want to tie people and tether people to reality and as christians being able to take a step back and say well uh i can bear with people but to the extent that we help people harm people is where we have to draw a line and say like, no, like we can't act like this is not our problem. We can't act like we can be apolitical or not take a side or be some kind of moderate. Um, I don't think that's an option even more than it's to say we could ever fix it. You know, like both of those are not viable. I mean, here's where I struggle, right? So like you said, we, we, we all have those friends in our lives who we maybe lost a relationship with. And also it's, it's, I guess, in, on, on one hand, it's kind of comforting to know that this is not new. On the other hand, we live in the information age. We, we, in right. theory, we have, we have better access to reality and to information than ever before. And yet these things are only, they only seem to, to be growing, not really shrinking right. at all. Um, and that's, so, a, that's a crucial point. I like you. That is so important that we have more information than we've ever had before. And yet we are more disconnected from reality than we've ever been. Right. How is that possible? 
Right. And, and, you know, I, I think obviously social media and the internet, there's lots of, there, there, there's a lot of play here. Then you add a pandemic into that. So I, right. I, I certainly understand that there are a lot of ingredients that, that, that really, it seems like the past 15 years have been like this perfect storm, right. Yeah. Of, of ingredients that really have allowed, uh, conspiratorial thinking and conspiracy theories to enter the mainstream mind of the average American. Um, right. and so my, my, where I struggle is like, what do we do? Right, because if if you lose the friendship and you other them, it kind of only reinforces that their own conspiratorial thinking. That oh, see, this is costing me something. Yep. Um, we I, we often say that we don't want to become fundamentalists all over again on our end. Right, we're trying to leave fundamentalism, not become radical all all over again with 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 with, with, with in, in other other people that we don't like anymore. Um, right. But also, it just seems like it, it is. A, at least from where I'm sitting, it seems like it is impossible to have a real conversation. And, and to be transparent, I have a lot of them in my DMs with audio messages. You know, I've talked to many people. I've even interviewed a pastor named Samuel Duth, who is part of Awakened Church in San Diego. I mean, they are a conspiracy theory loving church. They've had Charlie Kirk speak, Tucker Carlson speak, Candace Owens speak. They're they're actively fighting the school board to get CRT out. You know, anti mass the whole nine. I've I've had him on the show, spoken to him respectfully. We we had a respectful dialogue. You know, but. I, and that was almost a year ago. He's only gotten more radical. It's, it's only gotten farther down that rabbit hole. How, what do we do? Like, do we just ignore it? Do we hope that one day it dies? Do we try and actively dismantle these evangelical systems that are are, 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 are breeding grounds for this? Do we try and push back? I, I feel like I cannot solve this Rubik's Cube, frankly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so I think you're right to point out how Frust- I mean, I, I just, I hear the frustration and I'm like, yeah, like I'm right there. I, I don't, at one point, I don't want to jump too quickly into, well, here's, here's just the X, Y, Z that if we would just do this thing, because man, like, uh, I, I do not have that. And I, more than anything, I don't even expect to walk away with this, this dissertation with any of that, you know, if, if, if only to be able to say, well, look, if we would just do this, this, and this, and you know, what convinced me on that was just the historical literature, like just reading at every turn, there was conspiracies. Yeah. Every time the world got turned upside down, there was there were there's always alternative explanations uh, and secret hidden explanations for like what you see is not what you get. Mm-hmm. And and that's and and here's and here's the kicker, right? Isn't that somewhat of what we Christians claim, right? Like what you see around you is not what's coming, right? And so, how do we live faithfully? In all that, so I'm, I'm just rephrasing the question. Um, but here's here's maybe a couple things for like people who are listening, and and some of this is drawn from the research. Others of it is just like, hey, you know, one of my neighbors here, this might be hard to believe, um, is a full-on Putin apologetic. Like, mm. we're 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 closer in proximity to what's going on in Ukraine. He supports the war. Wow. Okay. So, uh, how do you have conversations and relationships with these people? Right. Um, and and that's. If we can't do that, what are we doing? So your point taken. Right. Um, so maybe maybe a couple of things. One thing I heard from a missionary who works uh, in Muslim communities, and this is I asked him a similar question, not thinking it would ever come uh, to this moment. I said, "How do you even begin to have a conversation with someone who, you know, just just believes radically different than than what you believe?" And right at, at some level, you want to persuade them, right? Like you you want them to be like you. 
how do you, how are you going to begin to do that? And he said, look, um, I do it by pebbles and shoes. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he goes, well, if, if I wanted to change your mind and, and you think of an idea as a boulder and if I just rolled that down at you, uh, you, you know, you're Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark, like you're going to get flattened. It's that's, you know, that's the end. Right. But if I put a pebble in your shoe, eventually it's going to annoy you enough that you're going to maybe stop or you're going to walk slower, take off your shoe, kind of take it out. That's frustrating because a lot of our discourse right now, and maybe a lot of the threats quote unquote to democracy are immediate, but when we really think about it, how much of our personal relationships are that immediately threatening? Um, uh, unless you have a friend who's, you know, buying rounds of ammunition that you notice and you say, Hey man, like this, you know, does that make sense? Yeah. There's a difference between that kind of immediacy and right. someone who's just like, well, you buy into this. I, I don't, I, I know you're into it. How do I do that? Right. So I think that w- that was some wisdom, right? That was just, that was just wisdom. But as far and I, I'm going to branch it out a little bit, as far as the church goes, um, I can't tell anyone what, you know, what they ought to do or what they should do. But um, there is, there has been something really helpful for us leaving the States. And I'm not, I'm not saying that people need to leave. I'm not saying that's the only way it's going to work out. Um, but what I've found and what was surprising was that the problems that I thought were exist uh, in existence, the, the farther I got away, the more I found that they're more fundamental than we realize they are. And I, I, you know, this is just conjecture or opinion at this point, but part of my project has been like with the intention of bringing it back to evangelicals somehow and being like, Hey, like, look at this. Yeah. But the, the, the problem with this is that when you, when you start to talk about repair, repair doesn't make sense for people who don't think that they're part of the problem. Right. Like here, I found the, I found a fix or I found, that, that's not it. Um, and uh, to be honest with you, man, and I, I, you didn't ask me to say this, you didn't pay me to say this, but it's, it's, it's organizations like this that are having conversations like this that are trying to create these new spaces, like you said, that aren't fundamentalists in spirit that are saying, look, like something needs to change and new spaces are one of the best ways I think that that can be done, hmm. um, where the community is going to tackle new challenges and new problems. But like you said, you can't just ignore it. Hmm. You, you can't. But at the same time, you can't other people either. Right. So there's some personal like inner inner relationship wisdom. I was like, man, that that's good um, from someone who's had experiences that I haven't. But from coming here and realizing that you know what, maybe the fixes are not as simple. Maybe they're a little bit more embedded. Um, maybe that maybe these solutions are going to outlast us. And the only thing, the best thing that we can do is what are the spaces that need to exist a hundred years from now? Um, yeah. How do we begin to to start new things? Um, and recognize that maybe you don't want to spend, maybe your listeners don't want to spend their lives, uh, fixing something that can't be fixed. And that, that's not cynical to say that I, it doesn't need to be. Right. Well, it certainly seems like, um, like you said, the major power players in white evangelical spaces, at least stateside. And I guess, you know, across the globe, I'm thinking like, Oh, it gets exported and stuff. It's exported. Well, right. And that, that's what I've been told by quite a few people in our community. Like, hey, I'm in Australia now. We're hearing this over here now, too. I'm like, thanks. But one thing yep. I was going to say was it seems like a lot of the the major power players, like you said, they don't think that there's a problem. They they only think that, that, that they are really fighting the good fight. 
by right. being part of, of this thinking of we have to fight the demonic left and, you know, we have to bring God back to America um, and and our our children's, our children's lives are on the line. I mean, it's just really catastrophizing, right? Like you yeah. said, where any day um, – yeah, I mean, I we, we can go on to other things about how this affects eschatology. Yeah. But one last thing I wanted to ask you before we get ready to wrap up is, um, is it seems like, and again, you know more about conspiracy theories in general than I do, but it seems like conspiracy theories usually have targets, and it, they tend to seem to be minority groups or women. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm thinking about you know how a lot of these, even QAnon, uh, has some incredibly anti-Semitic. Um, you know, um, um, beliefs to them, which is so ironic because so many white evangelicals are major supporters of Israel, but I'm also realizing how even that's the thing, you know, supporting the nation state of Israel does not mean that you necessarily support all Jewish people. Um, but right. So, so it, it, my last question for you is, is do you, have you, as you studied this historically, do you also yeah. see that trend where these conspiracy th- theories really target not white men usually? Yes. <laughs> yeah. um, Damn it. I don't so, want to be right about that. <laughs> so let's, let's, I'm just going to like really simply conspiracy theory. I'll give people an example. 1950s, right? Communism is everywhere. But one of the things that made communism different. Okay. How, how can you tell a communist? It used to be the conspiracy theories were about uh, enslaved people revolting. And guess what? In the States, you know, who's an enslaved person because mm-hmm. of the color of their skin. It used to be that Catholic conspiracies were a big thing, but guess what? You can always identify Catholics because they eat fish on Fridays during Lent and they go to mass, right? So for a lot of history, you could always realize or, or identify who, who was part of this. Now you're asking why those people, well, those people, right, are always a threat to the, the hegemonic like normativity of the, the white male. Right. Mm. Like, so there, there is a, there is an element of white supremacy here. There is an element of, you know, confusing the categories of, you know, for so long we've, we've thought white is American and American is Christian. And we right. really haven't gotten rid of those conceptualizations in our national consciousness, unfortunately, and especially in the evangelical church, what made communism different. And I'm going to answer this question because this is, this is the key. What made communism different? How can you tell a communist? I mean, you, you can't. Yeah. I don't know. They're, they're among us. They, they, and that, that's what made the, the fear in the 1950s of the Cold War like so, so pervasive and paranoid is, you know, they're, they're next to us. Um, so what they did was interesting. Uh, if you read some of the source work, like the director of the FBI, he made several moves to try and connect communism with uh, sexual deviancy. So, right, the LGBT community. Right. And so when they started to associate like communism with patterns of behavior, that was just another way for them to talk about social change that they didn't want to see happen. And so they deflected it and associated it with communism uh, as a way to deal with problems abroad and at home as they perceive them. So conspiracy theories are always a way to shore up who's in and who's out. And so the problem is, okay, when this comes to church, who are we keeping in and who are we keeping out? Right. That's, that's the, that's probably what the listeners here, that's what we're grappling with probably collectively together is like, why do I feel out when this just seems like so obvious? Like, of course, Joe Biden is president. And why would I feel like I need to leave my church if I believe that Joe Biden is, or why do I need to leave my church if I believe like wearing masks is a good thing? Right. 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 Like, why? Well, well, because 
this discourse has gone on throughout American history as a way to other uh, these various minority communities. Hmm. And it's developed in ways that yeah, we have not even begun to scratch the surface of. And we adopt this discourse, like wokeness. Yeah. Man, we, we don't have time to get into that. But wokeness is just another conspiratorial like invention to redefine and reset the borders. That's what hmm. it is. Hmm. Um, and so again, like once, once you see these moves that have gotten made in our past, the reason that these conspiracies always target minorities target women uh targeting like lgbt community is precisely because they are perceived as threats to the established order mm. and so it it's it's pretty predictable I, I like i hate to say but it, it's, it's it's very predictable in those ways and and when the church allows itself to be um a puppet of that yeah. right uh and and Stanley Hauerwas said this statement, and I thought this is probably more descriptive of American evangelicals writ large than the the radical ones who stormed the Capitol. Is he says, you know, uh, getting away from the from politics in order to keep yourself pure is a profound act of despair mm. and hopelessness, mm. and and so we retreat into these cloistered communities where we can keep this order, homeschooling movement, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Conspiracy theories, like I said at the beginning, there's like this window that you can kind of hop through so you can talk about the thing as a whole. Right. And and other people have talked about masculinity and, and feminism and racism. Conspiracy theories are just the language that a lot of that stuff speaks in evangelicalism. Mm. And oftentimes it's it's supporting an ideology that gets underwritten by a particular theology in service of it. And so it's a, it is, it is a profound and powerful way of othering people um, that has just persisted for a long, long, long time. And I don't say that to end on a, a, such a negative <laughs> Doom and gloom. <laughs> but, but I think, I think at least it's helpful to me to realize that, um, you know, people say it's as worse as it's ever gotten. No, no. Mm. And, and I think that's some helpful, uh, maybe, maybe it's just like, look, like maybe it's been worse, maybe it's been better, but these are the days we have. And right. what do we do with that? Right. And I'll be honest with you, I never thought I would be here in Scotland. And I had, I had a perfect quote unquote, perfect path into evangelicalism planned out. And it got to the point, man, where, um, I couldn't unsee the vision of God that I had. And if that meant stepping out of evangelicalism or saying like, I needed mm. to step out, yeah. right? Like, there was no, there was no way to negotiate that, yeah. and it would have been a lot more lucrative. <laughs> and I don't have a job. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, like I don't I feel that. Studying, right. So, um, so yeah, I, I say that to say like, yeah, we're making real decisions, and it's not easy. But, um, but I think at some point, like, it does keep you connected to what reality is and what faithfulness looks like, even if you don't have all the answers. And I think that's probably the key point, right? Like. Yeah. Conspiracy theories claim to have the answer. I'm like, I, I don't, I don't need to know. Right. I can't, you can't know. Right. And Jesus doesn't need us to know. So, you know, what's going on in my community? What's, right. what's going on in my physical area? So that, yeah, that's, that's, see a little preachy, but um, these conspiracy theories are a language that used, are used to other people. And I think mm. you picked up on something that we haven't really talked about, but it's, it's kept minorities uh, in its sights for forever. Hmm. That's that's the 
the difficult thing to grapple with. Well, it's helpful to know though, because then we, you know, once you're aware of it, then you can, you can really call it out. Right. I mean, yeah. once yep. something isn't hidden, hidden anymore, it's easier to expose it. And I think that as, um, people in, in the spaces that we are existing in and, and our audience, as they are kind of journeying down their disentanglement path, whatever deconstruction path, whatever you want to call it. I think a lot of us, we want to know what's going on. We, we, we want to understand Wait, yeah, why why does it always seem like these conspiracy theories target certain types of people and they usually aren't white men? Um, right. you know, like what's going on there? Um and that's not a conspiracy theory. There's a reason behind it, right? And then I think I think a lot of people who are kind of coming out of what I call the basement of evangelicalism for the first time, right? They're breathing on their own and they're looking to people like yourselves, academics who are doing the work to kind of put us in a, in, in a historical moment and to say, listen, you know, guys, friends, this is not new, right? I mean, the end of the world, for example, every Paul thought that, thought that he was in the last days. I mean, this is not, that's not crazy to say. I mean, Paul preached as if at any moment the, the world is over, Right. And so it's not even necessarily an unnatural thing to believe. It's very common to believe it. But as we have history, as we can look at data and, and kind of see the patterns, hopefully we can use that to make wise decisions going forward and not think that everything is the new mark of the beast. Right. Yeah. I mean, at first it was yeah. the social security card number was the mark of the beast and it was credit cards and scanners. And, you know, I mean, you, 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 you can still look up in the eighties, um, quote unquote pastors explaining how, you know, all the pillars of communism and all the pillars of Soviet Russia tie directly to the seven heads of the dragon and revel. I mean, humans yep. make connections that that's what we do. Yep. Sometimes that could be a really powerful, good thing, right? That right. pushes humanity forward, uh, forward that, that, that helps human flourishing, but it can also be used as a very negative thing, right? To do a lot of damage to people. And so I think that these conversations are important because we need to have the tools. We need to have the glasses to see when we hear Charlie Kirk or Alex Jones or, you know, even more mainline people, right? Like Ben Shapiro or Candace Owens, when they say certain things, th there's something underneath of that. Where's that coming from? And so right. knowing that helps us be able to disarm these narratives that ultimately hurt a lot of people. So I, I think it's important that we keep doing this work. Yeah. I mean, and that's, and that's the thing, like being aware, I'm glad you said that. Cause you know, I'm, I'm kind of down in these trenches of like, man, like, maybe we can't use repair language for evangelicalism. Maybe, maybe that the only options are, you know, like apostatizing or deconverting and, and what do we do with that? But, you know, right. here, here you bring up these really good points of like, again, we are all mediating our reality through these voices. We have people that we love um, that we would hate to see kind of fall under the influence of this kind of paranoia. It's an art form, man. Mm. Uh, it's an art form and, and, and they're performing really well and being able to say, look, um, Nothing could be more uncharacteristic of the life that Jesus lived um, than paranoia. Like n nothing could be more unchristlike than living with this idea uh, of constant fear. Nothing, nothing could be further from the truth. Um, right. Right. And and so, you know, being able to be aware of that to call it out for what it is. Um, I said at the beginning, once you start kind of looking at this, you do start to see it everywhere yeah. and it's, it's, it's bizarre, but like you said, um, awareness is half the battle. And I think we can start there and yeah. see, see where the rest of it takes us. No, I agree. You know, and honestly, I'm not, 
I'm not convinced these days that we really can save white evangelicalism. I think we have to dismantle it and and think about 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 what we build going forward, which would never be perfect. Yeah. That isn't the point. Uh, but right. the point is that you know I, I I'm with you where it's like yeah I don't know like. It, if we saved it, what would we save and what would be left, right? right. I mean, right. these, right. The, this ideology, the, the, the theology, the whole web, the whole industry, it's, it's incredibly well fortified uh, and it's really embedded. I mean, the, there is no disease and healthy part. It's kind of all enmeshed together at this point. Right. So I'm with you on that, you know, but I, I think how we talk about that and how we move forward and how we invite people to journey with us as we do this, I think that's kind of the key, right? Uh, it can yeah. be tough and and um, like you said, we, we certainly there are people who have said no, like, you know, you're just crazy and wrong and, and I'm going to stay in my QAnon bubble. But you do what you can and, and you try and go right. from there. Um, where, can people, where can people find you? Are you public anywhere? Do you have any public accounts? Yeah, um, people can find me on Instagram, uh, Jared M. Stacy, And then on Twitter, just Jared Stacy. Uh, it's S-T-A-C-Y, no E on that. Um, Instagram is, I got pictures of kids and Twitter. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit more personal on my Instagram and uh, a little bit more hot take and uh, research driven <laughs> on Twitter. Um, but yeah, I would love to connect with anyone on, on either of those two. Um, so yeah. It's, Great. And that's, that's in fact, how I've, I've watched your videos and kind of kept up with the work you guys are doing. And I appreciate it a lot. Very it's cool. been helpful. Well, thank you. It means a lot. And Jared, it was honestly great having you. I'm sure at some point when the newest conspiracy theory hits the fan, we'll have to have you back on to dissect all yeah. of it. And what do we do going forward? So, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll keep you on retainer, you know, for those moments. Yeah, Jared, go. we got to talk tonight, you know, uh, but oh, I really appreciate man. you making time and, and best of luck in your studies. And thank you for doing it. It's hard work, but it's, it's certainly helpful for us. Thanks, man. Well, good meeting you, and uh, thanks for having me on. Absolutely. It's Jeep 4x4 season. Make your next adventure epic, and hurry in now for great deals. And now, well-qualified lessees get a low-mileage lease on the 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee 4xe for $389 a month for 24 months with $5,399 due at signing. Tax title license extra. No security deposit required. Call 1-888-925-JEEP for details. Requires dealer contribution, a lease request, or capital. Extra charge for miles over 20000 Residency restrictions apply. Take delivery by 531-23. Jeep is a registered trademark. That's the sound of me prepping the grill with Reynolds Wrap. And the sound of me not doing dishes. And the sound of me spending more time outside with my family. Easy prep, cook, and clean. Make time with Reynolds Wrap. I like the sound of that.